I'll be too nervous to. I'll probably lost the words. Welcome to another edition of the Lost Words podcast. I'm joined as ever by Jason. Jason, hello. Good evening, Tom. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, thank you, mate. Yourself? Marvellous. So, everyone will probably think that we record that and pre record that, but we actually say it live every single time, don't we? And we lie, generally. And we lie, because we already said what we wanted to say, you know, 10 minutes before we come on, don't we? But, um, yeah, yeah, there we go. It's uh, it's one of those things. But, uh, Three events this week, mate, after you've been out at the cricket all day yesterday and I've been uh, starting the wedding season. Um, it's, it's bad timing, really, for three events, but uh, we'll plug away. Yeah. Um, the Hero Open. We uh, we have got a guest today um, in Mark Dyer of Golf Bets 101. Mark, hello. Hi, how's it going, guys? Yeah, really well, thank you. Um, Mark, Mark's coming along for the PGA events this week, so we're going to we're gonna go through the Hero Open first. Um, and then get Mark's thoughts on those events later on down the line. Um, but didn't want a guy just sort of sitting there in the background without us introducing him. So, yeah, Mark is here for us all to speak to. But, um, Jason, the Hero Open is at Fairmont St Andrews, not to be confused with, obviously, the more illustrious St Andrews. Um, again, not to be confused with last year's Hero Open because it was played, what was it, Forest of Arden, was it, last year? Yeah, Arden, Hero? yeah. 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 Um, so obviously it was the Scottish Championship last year that this event was played at, won by uh, Adrian Otegi, we're both obviously big fans of, um, a player that's been hitting the ball incredibly well this week. When, and... We haven't been, we've never been on when he's won though, have we? No, no, we seem to we seem to back him because we think he's always great value, uh, and then he doesn't do it, and then he goes down to these shorter on back prices, and then he'll probably do it then. But, you know, you can't have it all. Um, he... I suppose we could probably start with him, really. He's up there in the betting. Um, he's slightly behind the trio of Andy Sullivan, Mashiro, Kawamura and Jordan Smith. But I think they're all much of a muchness, with Sullivan obviously a standout favourite. He's the only player in the top 100 in the world rankings, Jason, if that's right. Uh, Darius, isn't it? Um, oh, sorry. Um, there's Yeah, you've got him as 87, isn't it? Something yeah, like that. Yeah. A bit silly. So, yeah, it's, it's not exactly the greatest. And we know... Um, Andy Sullivan does, don't we? You know, sometimes he can shoot 62, 64. And if he's not interested, he really isn't interested. He can go missing. So um, not really of any appeal. Though he's got to be favourite, hasn't he? Yeah, you, you can't argue with it. He's a, sort of the class player in the field, isn't he? The, the, the winner in the field, if you like. Um, Jordan Smith kind of, you don't want to say the word choke all the time, but gave up an opportunity last week, didn't he? That was... The, the front two was shocking. I mean... <sighs> I don't know what you can say about them, really. Um, you know, they're, they're six and seven clear. Um, it's them two. I had one have been clear, then I think you could have said, OK, you know, um, Jordan or Halsey was clear and, and, you know, maybe they start thinking about it. But they had each other to spur them, you know, spur each other on. Um, Jordan, look, look, he's got 17 at one point. Um, I think he held a six or seven foot par putt. Um, and it was everything was going well. And then he hit the treble bogey on five or six, can't remember now. Um, and it just went, didn't it? It just, he lost it completely. Um, and they went, well, what, what was David Halsey doing down 18? Mm. I mean, he literally only has to iron it up the fairway. I mean, you know, take a five iron, take another five iron, take wedge and two putt. Um, it was dodgy, wasn't it? 
let's face it, but you know, fair play to you know David Gavins who um, you know did what he had to do and then stood in the clubhouse and watched them fall away. So I mean, I wish the caddy would be going on and on and on and on and on. That's what I see on the Twitter feed. Is uh, is them just you know? Yeah, I mean, well done. You know the, the front two. Yeah, they they need to have a. I don't know how they're going to react to that. To be honest, I, I couldn't have Jordan now at 25 this week after that. Well, it's weird because he had that. He kind of he started off the day pretty well, didn't he? With two birdies oh. in the first four, and then like you say, he had the the the, the treble bogey on six just after a bogey at five. But he bounced back and birdied the birdied the seventh and sort of steadied the ship for the next three holes. But then had a double and a bogey down the last with no uh, down the last nine without any birdies. So. Um, you can't win a tournament like that, and, and like you say, Halsey probably didn't do what what we expect of him. Really, you know, he's he's a guy that we kind of credit with incredible experience in in those positions, and and didn't do it. So, um, what I yeah. would say is is what Daniel Kevin's did, Jace, is is prove that what we've probably been beating the bush about is that there's probably not that big of a gap between uh, the Challenge Tour and the European Tour in these types of fields, and and he probably gives a bit of hope to the sort of guys that we're coming through. Psychological, isn't it? Any of these can shoot 62, 63 on any given day. It's just whether they can shoot 62, 63 on the Sunday and how much pressure they're under. Uh, ultimately, he should have been third, and, and he wasn't. He won. So, uh, fair, yeah, you can't knock him, can you? In fact, it's a very similar situation to last year here, wasn't it, when Otegi uh, hit 63 final round. You know, Matt Wallace, Aaron Ryer really... Um, should have really been first and second. Wally should have won, as we know. Um, but he's continually to sort of letting people down as well. So it is what it is. Any of them can shoot 63. If you go into it in eighth place and you're not expecting to do anything, you're going to play a lot more relaxed than, you know, the cameras are on you and uh, you have to do it. I guess that's what makes, you know, Brooks Kepka and Jordan Spieth who they are. Yeah, absolutely agree. Let's go into your, you've got a course correlation that you want to put out there. <laughs> Um, and, and as ever, we, we might as well get those out of the way first before we uh, before we go any further, because that could be the rest of the podcast. No, no, no. I'm going to be really, really brief. I'm sorry. I'll, I'll be really, really brief. But I mean, if you look at um, last year's Scottish Championship leaderboard, uh, you've got obviously um, Otegi who won it. Um, he was second in the China Open, just ahead of Matt Wallace. Um, if you go down the leaderboard again, uh, Aaron Rye's won in Hong Kong, has got two top 20s in China. Um, You've got uh, Marcus Armitage, who was uh, top 10. He's won in Foshan, and he's been second again elsewhere in China. Uh, Sean Crocker, he's got two uh, third places in China and a 10th. Um, and it, to be honest, everywhere I look, it seems to seems to go on and on and on. Um, Ollie Farr, who we might as well bring up now, I think you agree with me, is, is, is a play this week. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously tied here, tied uh, ninth in the Scottish Open. Uh, with the final round of 65 round here last year. He's got three wins on the European Tour. He's had his chances a couple of times on this at this level, but he's a winner at Foshan. Um, he's also got uh, a tied second in Sweden. And, you know, there's always, I mean, Ben's brought it up this week. We always have the correlation between um, sort of the Swede and the Nordic countries and Scotland, uh, sort of the Celtic countries. They're, they're always coming over and doing well. And uh, and sort of they we go over there and... and, and particularly show up on their leaderboards. So he was second in Sweden when Aaron Rye was fourth. Just another connection. He's got the top four in the hydro, which, as we know in the past, Brooks Kepka has won. Um, and I just thought, given his his recent form, where last week, you know, he's running 15th and 11th currently, um, I thought this was really his chance back on a, uh, on a track 
that he obviously likes. Um, I thought he was tremendous each way value. I think there was an early 60 or something like that. Um, there's a still 60 about. I'm sure, if there is. Uh, yes, there is still a 66 on that on Skybet. Yeah. Okay. I just think he's, he's to use the you know to use the American thing. He's trending right. It's from 14th, 11th. You know, they're probably same level type uh, competition. Maybe a couple are out uh, that make it this a slightly easier field. Don't know what there is against him, to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean, so I hate to correct you, but a slight correction on the fact that he had three Challenge Tour wins as opposed to three European Tour wins. But oh yeah, so I've written CT. Yeah, yeah I know, I know, I know what you know what you're talking about, but it's, uh, I don't want to mislead anybody else. But um, you know, 2014, 2017, 2019. So he's kind of had steady sort of wins. You know, they're not just all at once, and he's never appeared again. He's kind of done it over a decent period of time. Um, and like you say, the natural progression now is to take this step up. Again, like you say, he has had opportunities um, in the, the Hero Open that was at Arden last year. He was obviously uh, tied third there. Um, tied night for the British Masters, tied night here last year, like you said as well. So for me, it, you know, he, he's not been set in the world like with his irons, but they've been you know pretty consistent. He was seventh not so long ago in the field, 23rd last time out. Um, and as you say, you know, it's an easy term to sort of phrase, but, you know, tie 23rd time, 59th, tie 14th, tie 11th, it just feels like it's coming, doesn't it? Um, I kind yeah, of expected yeah. him to be shorter. I think the hero last year, if I'm not mistaken, it literally was stage fright, mm. I thought. Um, he just couldn't handle it. When the cameras were in full time, it was it was a bit like rabbit in the headlights, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, so he's going to learn from it all the time, and it's just finding the right the right price at the right event, and for me, this this looks you know this looks pretty good for him. Well, I think he's a, he's a kind of player that at this level he's been fairly inconsistent his whole sort of at this you know at this stage he's been inconsistent his whole career, isn't he? And you know that third at the Hero was followed by a kind of three risk cuts in his next five starts, and then he finished ninth here. Um, then he went kind of missing again, but it's just it just seems to be now that he's he seems to have found something. I don't know if it's just a good run of events for him. Obviously, you know just being played across the British Isles and you know, in, in Ireland as well, the Irish Open, Scottish Open, Kazoo Open and, and the Hander, whether it just kind of suits him with the home comforts, I don't know. But whatever it is, he, he's doing it well and he's playing in Scotland here, so he should be pretty comfortable, especially if he's finished last week. Eddie Pepperell is someone that I think is always a little bit short in the market um, because he's a popular person, because he's funny on Twitter. Um, he, he tends to maybe be a little bit shorter than, than we'd like, but I just I don't really want to ignore his kind of Scottish links. You know, he plays pretty well in Scotland, second and fourth at Scottish Open. He's played the Dunhill links well in the past. Sixth at Carnoustie, wasn't it, 2018, the Open Championship. Um, 13th on touring strokes, gained approach. He was tied fifth after both first and second round last week and, and disappointed on the Saturday. Um, I just think that, you know, back in Scotland where he obviously loves to play, you just might be able to piece four rounds together. Um, yeah, he was one that I put up for, for the Scottish. And um, yeah, I, 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 I just think he's been very disappointing, to be honest with you. I, I wasn't impressed last week when he had every chance at halfway. Um, yeah, it's just not for me, mate. That's no, all. No, until, no. He, until, he, until he does it properly now in contention. Um, it's a bit concerning, really, I think. You know, he's had chances. He's, he's blatantly talented enough to, to win things like this. Uh, and he isn't doing it. Uh, and I, 
we we said we thought he, you know you said that he'd come off Twitter a little bit a few weeks ago. Yeah. And you thought he'd taken it golf a bit more seriously. Look, his figures are, are are fine. You know, he's got some fantastic greens, reg figures. Um, his approaches are great, but he doesn't finish it. And yeah, I don't know. I mean, he's he's one of them where I think you might be looking for a top ten bet, but then you're you're t- you know it's thirty threes. I mean, it's tight, mate. So um, it's it's not big enough for me. No, I do think, like you say, I think you've got people like him, you've got Ryan Fox, I think Armitage is pretty much the same. They're kind of names that always seem to be a little bit shorter in the market just because of name value. Um, you know, we've got people like Tario that I put up last week who's in, in fine form in a challenge tour. Connor Syme, I know you were talking about before we came on air, um, you know, makes similar sort of suggestions and profiles. Jockin B. Hansen was first in the field last week at the Olympics, wasn't he, in strokes getting approach, so... There's lots of guys around this sort of price range that you could sort of give a shout to without maybe sticking uh, sticking your pin on any one of them in particular. Yeah, I mean, again, he's gone up, so I know we're a day over what we normally where we normally record. But yeah. I mean, uh, Benjamin Heber, for example, yeah. was quite interesting. I know Ben's put him up, so the prices have gone. Um, he's got a ter- you know he's got an absolutely terrific iron game when he's right. Uh, and again, he's got the China link. He was second to Mikko Korhonen in 2019. Obviously, second in the Scottish Open. If you, I'm going to labour the China thing because I worked hard on this, right? So if anybody can find a link between any of these players and China, let me know because because I'm happy to be on. Right, you got the China, you got Herbert. We've already discussed discussed like the other players. Uh, Brandon Grace lost a playoff in the Scottish Open. Obviously, he won China 2012. Uh, Cole Sarch was tied third in the Scottish Open. He's got first and second in China. Go back to the mighty Jeeve Milka Singh. The one that China opened in 2006 and the Scottish Open in 2012. I don't know why. We always look at sort of Scandinavia and things like that, but for some reason, wherever they play the China Open, there's a Scottish link. I don't know. Hands up. I haven't got a clue. Um, yeah, Connor Syme, I do like quite a lot. Um, uh, recently, sort of top 10 in Tita Green approaches, which is crucial around here. Um, at the at Celtic Manor, he's ninth Tita Green. It's second in greens and reg 16th in approaches. Good quality of the European Open as well. So, you know, and that's all off sort of top 20, top 10 driving accuracy figures. A bit like Ollie Farr, who bases a lot of his stuff on driving actually. It'll be interesting to see what happens this week with conditions. I know there's supposed to be some rain coming in. So it may be that the more careful um, are going to sort of um, benefit from that instead of sort of like the 23 under that it was last year. We'll see. But I, I like Connor Simon. I'm, I'm sure he's going to win at some point within the next, you know, seven or eight years. Uh, uh, it's just whether 35 to 1 was was big enough to take that chance, given he simply can't putt. Um, I, I found it quite difficult, just to be honest, even though I like the China thing. I just haven't had enough time to, to get all the figures together. And it'll probably be Friday by the time I do, and it'll be too late. Um, so, yeah, so for me, it was it was, it was was difficult, mate. I don't, he, but if you can get the price, I think is fair. Uh, Ollie Farr, I think he's fair. Um, and the other one was Matt Jordan, really. Uh, oh, again, I put up in the Scottish Open. Uh, it's a bit obvious what he does. He's won the St. Andrews Links and Amateurs in the Walker Cup against the best American side for years. Um, he led at Hillside in the British Masters with a 63. There's links there. Led at halfway at the Dunhill Links before finishing fifth. He's just, uh, I, I think if he's ever going to win, I think you'll agree it's going to be in Scotland. Yeah. Um, or, or some sort of links, links event sort of in England. Um, I thought 50s was fair. I, th- I thought it was a tournament that you could make a case for quite a few. Um, 
but not convincing, if you know what I mean. Yeah, that's exactly how I felt. I just, I did just think that you were kind of, it, it was almost like a dartboard, and, and people are going to talk about the Barracuda being a bit of a lottery later on, and you know, throughout the week you're going to see that. But I think this this is one of those events where I think you could, you could seriously put a pin in sort of 30 of these, be relatively happy, and just cross your fingers that one of them gets over the line because it. I just think, you know, you talk about Conor Seam, someone you, you say you expect to win. The, the disappointing thing is he did it without any fans. You know, he didn't do it without any fans mm. last year when, you know, the pressure's less on and, you know, suddenly fans are coming back and crowds are going to be back in. It's going to start to get to him a little bit more. Um, so that's a, a slight concern for me. There's someone like Callum Shinkwin who just seems to turn up when, when the sort of course suits and we know what he's done on Lynx courses or, or Lynx type courses because this isn't really a true Lynx, is it? But, you know, he he would be one that he sort of returned to form out of nowhere back at the uh, back at the kazoo, wasn't it? And he was fourth place there, but then missed the cut again last week. So it, it really is hard. I mean, Chase Hanna was the one for me, a um, bit like Tario last week, that the form was just too hard for me to ignore. Um, you know, as as you said, him and, and Otegi were both sort of vying for sort of best approaches. I think he gained nearly eight strokes at Celtic Manor in approach. And that was after calling off over the weekend as well. Lost two strokes for his putter on the Sunday, which which cost him really, um, which he can't afford to do when, when you're trying to get your first win. But, you know, there's a lot of hype around him and, and it normally is because he's American, he's on European tour and, and suddenly you're next Brooks Kepka, which seems a bit late in the day for Chase Hanna already at 27, I think he is. So, But you've got people that make really steady careers. You know, David Lipsky, Kurt Kitayama... Uh, Sean Crocker is surely going to do something. Peter Uline did well before he went back to uh, to the PGA Tour and, and Corn Ferry Tour. So there's a lot to be said for them coming over and, and forging a career for themselves. He's obviously just been signed up by ISM, which is something that we always sort of look at. So, yeah, Chase Hanna was another one for me. I think there's still a bit of uh, value there at sort of 50s and 60s. There is 66s if you uh, can get on and, and like the less places. Bryce Easton I thought was particularly sort of like big but I don't know there's again there's, it's a confidence thing where he's you know he's been around for quite a while and, and never really changed my opinion of him it's just he was tied 16th you know here last year I think he was second after round one and finished eighth two weeks ago so he was looking at 250 200 to one earlier in the week he's gone down to 150 so not quite as keen and then Tom McKibben you know he's, he's someone that I sort of brought up a little while ago I think he made his professional debut at the Tenerife Open Someone that says that he can sort of call Rory McIlroy whenever he wants and gets advice, that can't be a bad thing. Um, if he gets in contention, you're surely going to hear about that. Um, you know, he's, he's a member at, at Rory McIlroy's home golf course. But aside from that, he's had a very good amateur career. Um, won some prestigious events over in America um, as an amateur. And he's still only 18 years of age. So you can sort of forgive him for having a bit of a slow start since he turned pro. But other than that, when he's made, he's made four of the eight cuts and... You know, he's finished tied 34 for better each time he's made the weekend. Tied 26th last week. Um, sort of shows what he can do. And he was 11th after round one and 20th after round two. So, for me, I think there's there's a bit of juice in that price for, for someone with, we expect to have a bit of high potential. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I think you've mentioned a couple. I mean, he's obviously much less exposed than Chase Hanna. But both of them are unexposed at this level at the European Tour. And yeah, it's possible. I mean, like you say, we've been watching, you know, the Crokers and the Veermans and people like that for over a year now, regularly on the European tour, and they haven't done it yet. But it, they're not, they're not short, are they, of doing it? I mean, you know, um, 
you know, they're, they're what? They're, they're a putt away. They're a, they're a little bit of experience away. So, yeah, I, I can I can see any of them, any of them sort of putting something up when they can. I mean, my last player is, is on the opposite side, I think, of experience in Ashen Wu, mm. who, again, obviously, I've got to go China back to China. Me. Yep, won the China Open again, but it's, it's there. I mean, you look down the China Open winners and it's amazing how many correlate to Scotland um, and especially last year's leaderboard. So he's won China Open. He's been seventh in China, sixteenth, uh, sorry, eighteenth in the Scandinavian mixed. Again, you know, you go to Sweden and and it, it works. It works perfectly well for here. Um, he's high up in scrambling. Um, I don't know what Ashen Wu is going to do. I mean, he is totally exposed. Um, just thought of interest was the China link and the uh, fact he won the 2016 Lioness Open yeah. and second was Adrian Otegi. Um you know, Otegi again links into, you know, everybody. You've got, um, you know, his two wins in the Paul Laurie match play. Um, Chris Paisley, I, I thought of this week yeah. as well, to be honest. You know, he's been fifth in the Paul Laurie match. So wherever Adrian Otegi goes, there is a, a, a form line for, for three or four tournaments that bring in probably about 12 players in this week. You can't back them all. Uh, or maybe you can. I don't know. Um, just thought really, really interesting. Um so I went for Ashen Wu, but it wouldn't surprise me if someone went for Sean Crocker, you know, Matt Jordan, whoever. I mean, it's it's they're there, um, and I think if you can make some sort of Swedish or Chinese link, I'd be I'd be very happy to be honest. I think with Ashen Wu, I, was, I think I put him up at Saudi earlier in the year. Where, you yeah. know, he's just a type of player, isn't he? That he seems to outperform his value quite often. Without you know, he's he's one that was it three times in the European Tour. He, he's just a very capable player when he gets in the mix you look at the you know you mentioned the china obviously you, you've done your link there but the, the KLA open that he won he beat chris wood where he's kind of a links you know specialist thomas Dietrich plays well in in these sort of conditions podrick harrington sort of killed somewhere in those top six as well so was pepper and smith so benjamin hubert was a bit further down um lee and s open like you said he beat otegi James Morrison was there. Chris Wood was there again. Yus Loughton, Bernd Wiesberger. These guys are all people that sort of perform well in Scotland and places like that. So, yeah, I mean, it's not to say that they're definitely the courses that, that sort of suit, but it's the event and the type of field that he sort of plays well in. One other person I will give a sort of shout, and I did kind of said this on, on the YouTube thing last night, is that if there was any data at all from last week's event, I can't, you can't even get greens and regulation or anything. Um, I just wonder how Lucas Bjerregaard powered that kind of made cut and decent finish last week because, you know, he, he's a player that he literally looks like he's been playing with one arm for quite a while now. You know, everyone goes back to how he beat Tiger in the match play and he was, you know, he's outstanding. I remember him sort of taking advantage of Hatton having a meltdown at Dunhill Links and being on that week. Um, but he does it. You know, he, he's played well in the China Open. He was third, there, third and sixth in the past. Um I think he's played well in Sweden before. He's played well at Dunhill Links, obviously, as I just said. The Open Championship, he's played well. So, British Masters, there's so much that kind of suggests that he could play well here. Um, I really do like his Scottish banker form. So, it's just, I don't have anything to go on to suggest. You know, if I could see that he was fifth in his irons last week, I'd just be straight on. Um, but I'd guess that the price wouldn't be there either. So, be interesting to see how he goes. Yeah, I like that. 2018, he was ranked 45th in the world. Yeah, it's, you know. it's a hell of a drop-off, but it's so easily done, isn't it? It's not, 
we're so quick to write you know not just us but everyone is so quick to write people off because there's there's so there's just a, a plethora of talent that keeps coming through and the challenge sure gets stronger and people come through and ready to win quicker and you suddenly forget about these players and you know he he for a good period between sort of what 2015 2018 he was really really solid you know european tour player who had you know more chances than the two wins that he got he he had that fourth place finish at the match play third at wentworth so he's, he's really played well in some really big events second at the european masters um you know to matt fitzpatrick that's no shakes there ashen Wu was there as well someone that's played well in that event so yeah, I think that there's probably I might even just have a spin on him a bet fair just to just to see just because if he went well for two rounds or whatever and, and I wasn't on I'd be pretty devastated but I would I've sort of clocked on to the fact he's made that cut and, and just interested to see how he done it and I think it probably helps if anything with the value that you can't see how he did it. Absolutely, I, I've seen that. It's a bit like Skyler one that one isn't it? Yeah. Red, bit of guard. Yeah, I mean I like Christopher Broberg at a big price. Um, you know, we talk about where they are over the last eight weeks in terms of Tita Green and approaches. Uh, obviously, you've got Otagi and Hannah up there, but you've got Broberg is third and fourth in those two categories. Mm. Um, cracking play when right. Swedish fits perfectly here. Big price, probably about 350, 400 on Betfair. Worth like a dollar if you want. So, um, well, but, he had but that other kind that, of, yeah. he's done that bit of resurgence, hasn't he, this year in, yeah. in, in times, isn't and like you say, he's a, a really, really good player when he's you know on form. As people, you'll like to uh, so, sort of remind people that you're a, a challenge tour expert at one point, and he had that four wins in 2012, yes. didn't he? So it... inverted commas, inverted commas. <laughs> and, I did, I did, he did, he did win me money, so that's yeah, that's fine. Yeah. And and he, but he did though, you know, and he was he was very solid on on the European tour for quite a while. It's just that. Like we just said with Puregard, it's very easy to fall away. And once you do, it's not so easy to come back. We've just seen it with Marcel Seems, a good example, isn't he? A bit more seasoned mm. than both of those guys. And, you know, eventually his form is going to drop off. But he's a he's a multiple tour winner and, and really did go to the depth. So I think it's very quick to happen. I think you can, like Seems showed, bring it back very quickly if, if, uh, if things go right. So I wouldn't discount both those guys we just mentioned there. Um, Jason, if we just sort of wrap up our picks there, I'll go first so you can uh, turn the page on your paper, and then we can go. We can invite our guests back in and, and go over to the uh, the FedEx St Jude. But I had Eddie Pepper at thirty three to one, Ollie Farr at sixty six to one, Chase Hanna at sort of fifties and sixties, and Tom McKibben around three hundred to one. Yeah, I've got six. So they won't all be done, but they'll, they'll be done in some way. So Connor Siam, Chase Hanna, Ollie Farr, who I really like. Benjamin Heber, um, Ashen Wu, and uh, Christopher Broberg at 350, 400. Absolutely. Right, let's let's invite our guest back in. Mark, thank you very much for your your patience in in listening to an event that you, I don't know if you have any interest in it, but you haven't certainly done the, the um, research in there to to make any sort of picks. But hopefully, we didn't bore you too much while we were going away there. Of course not. <laughs> But um, look, you know, we're over at the the WGC St Jude. It's been two years now. It's been a you know WGC event as opposed to a regular tour stop. In those two years, Mark, you know, the the two winners we've seen have been you know right out the top draw in terms of Justin Thomas and Brooks Kepka. When you look at these sort of events from a from a data angle, from a you know not just a betting perspective but a fantasy perspective as well. Do you put any stock in the fact that, you know, the last three winners, even at this goal, of course, have been Justin Thomas, Brooks Kepford, Dustin Johnson, the fact that you 
I suppose you have to go and find an edge in your sixth man in as opposed to trying to take on the best in the field. Yes, yeah, so I normally start uh, by looking at the former winners of the, at the course. Um, so this course has been played prior to it becoming a WGC, and we did see Dustin Johnson win there. Then you saw Daniel Berger win twice. So I, I'm kind of leaning towards players who are obviously the best players in the world, but in order to get to this WGC, you already have to be a best player in the world. So it doesn't really narrow the field down too much. But one thing I did find was that four of the last five winners at this course all had multiple top 10 finishes in their five most recent PGA Tour starts. So it is really showing that a lot of the winners here have come into the event in really good form. So that does take some some players out of it. Uh, I am really looking for ball strikers as well. We have seen, obviously, Brooks Kepka, Justin Thomas, Dustin Johnson. They're all excellent ball strikers. And even Daniel Berger, when he won twice, he does it by staying in the fairways and hitting greens. So I'm really looking for players who are pretty consistent, and they're not really going to be needing to rely on their short game too much. And if they do have to rely on their short game, you need you need guys who can scramble for par and save par. Yeah, absolutely. And I think yeah, you talk about people there, the ball striker and Jason. That you look at the 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 winners here, and and Justin Thomas has won in Hawaii. Um, Harris English has won, I think, been in Hawaii a couple of times, or at least contended in in both. I think Fabian Gomez has played well there. If he's not won there as well, Brian Gay's done well in both. Uh, former winner here, so I don't know. If there's any link into that course at all? Yeah, I mean, I looked. I, my main one was sort of Pebble. I think is a, is, a, is a bit obvious when you look at the likes of DJ, Brooks Berger, etc. I thought they, I thought that that was where to look at once we sort of got past the who can't win. Yeah. Um, you know, to be honest, um, and it was it was just an addition. Um, also, obviously, um, you got the lack of par five, so um, you know the, the the bombers, the eagle players didn't didn't really count. So I looked at the par fours, but I also. Um, Thought, okay, well, I'll, I'll lob in the par three effort as well, uh, which was quite interesting. Again, we'll go through it in a minute in regard to Berger. Uh, last year, answer was very high up in par threes. Um, and this year, I was, you know, amazingly, Stuart Sink actually, I know it's all relative and the courses, etc., but Sink is miles clear hmm. on the par threes. Uh, but Daniel Berger is tied second. So if you allied that with everything else, you know, that, that was, uh, he was, he was the one of most interest enough. It's not exactly secret, is it? But I thought that was an additional um, bit of evidence for him over the rest. But, you know, let's go along with Mark because, you know, he's a data man. Yeah, exactly. That's, you know, from a, we're kind of feel people. We like to look at the correlations, but it's good to get a data perspective. But just to add a bit more into stock into that Hawaii League, David Toms is a two-time winner at this golf course and one in Hawaii as well. Obviously a very good player, so that, that kind of plays a lot. But Fabian Gomez has got two PGA Tour wins. Uh, Sony Open Hawaii and Felix St. Jude so I, I just think that there's a little bit in that um, are the courses that similar Mark I don't know if it's so much that or whether it's just the, the style of golf in terms of the, the shorter shorter holes and, and the lack of par fives I do think the one correlation with the Hawaii course is that YLI also is not a par 72 like we have a par 70 this week and I'm pretty sure YLI is a par 71 or a par 70 yeah. so you see a similar type of field perform well there where you have to really grind out those par threes and grind on those par fours because you don't have the par fives like you mentioned so i think the big similarity might be the fact that it's a similar distance and a similar style of course a couple other courses that i found myself looking at was tpc sawgrass because 
we have a TPC course this week, and TPC Sawgrass has a lot of water in play. It has that pretty similar winning score range of being between like minus 10 and like minus 14. And then Colonial uh, for the Charles Schwab Challenge, that's a, a course that it has similar like weather conditions in terms of it can get windy, it can get really hot. I know this week, three of the four days are going to be a real feel of over 100 degrees. So these golfers are going to be like in, in blistering heat and it's going to get some, some wind up there too. So um, I do see what you're saying with the Hawaii though. And I understand why you can get there. And I do think those courses do play pretty similar to a course like Colonial as well. Yeah, I mean, you talk about Colonial, obviously Daniel Berger won there. Um, you know, was it the first event back after after the restart? So, you know, that would make certain sense. And and David Toms has also won at Colonial. So th- th- there's certainly some sort of links into there. Um, Mark, do you, do you put any stock in the, the, the players returning back from the Olympics? You, you just mentioned the heat there, and, and they've obviously just had a bit of a slog over there. Then they've got the journey. Then they're going to be really, really hot and, and maybe some tough conditions. Is that something that can take its toll going into the weekend? I, I definitely think it can. Um, I do think it does help, though, that the course for the Olympics was also Zoysia Grass Fairways. So yeah. the, the players who did play um, in, in Tokyo did get that bit of an advantage. I don't think too much into like the travel um, narratives I, I can see why players can can get exhausted or whatnot but if they're coming to a WGC event like I think they're they're ready to go and, and they're here to win so I don't I don't put too much into it I actually think it might have helped them if anything not having the week off getting to play on the Zoysia and, and keeping their form yeah I can see that and Jason Sky was talking about it last night I think that it, it almost depends as well where you're traveling from in the sense that, you know, coming back from kind of like DJ does from Saudi Arabia to Pebble and we see his performances drop off horrendously, sort of coming back from the east back over to the west, maybe not so bad. Uh, it's, it's too hard to predict, mate. But it's, 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 it's almost it's like... It's a you, factor. It's got to be a factor, isn't it? Do you have to take a stance on it or can you just mix it up? Do you just try and oppose the guys that have done it or just just not let it play into your account at all? Or do you sort of make it... Is it something that can be a deciding factor between two options that you've got, for example? Yeah. It's it's too hard. I I don't put too much of a stock on it, to be honest with you. I mean, when you look at it and then you look at the price... And bear in mind that, you know, we're talking to Mark, who does who does uh, DraftKings, which is a different look at things the way we do with fixed odds. Um, you know, I certainly think if you were if you were tossing up between two players that was 14 to one, for example. So I'm sure we'll talk about Morikawa, for example. You know, we'll talk about his positives of which we can go on forever. Um, and then you will bring in the negative about him traveling over. Where do you put it? Where does that each individual is going to is going to have that? how much stock they put into that at 14 to one um, and who he compares with. So at the same price, so Morikawa and Xander, obviously both coming over ones on a high ones, probably still the high from the open as well. Where, where do you put them as opposed to Jordan, for example, um, who didn't or Brooks who didn't it's, it's each individual, isn't it? Uh, you know, you've got a view, but I don't think there's any concrete evidence and therefore, you know, it's just a coin, mate. Well, I certainly couldn't let it put me off Colin Morikawa. I mean, he was, was it tied 20th here on his debut uh, last year? Mark, he, I think it was a, a 65-66 weekend uh, in his first short showing in the event. Um, and and kind of the run, or 67-66, sorry, um, over the weekend. And then he's obviously, like Jason just said there, first at the Open, fourth at the Olympics. 
it would be kind of ludicrous, I suppose, to kind of rule him out based on potentially a bit of jet lag. Oh, oh, certainly. And and Morikawa fits that profile of one of the best, like the best ball striker on, on the PJ Tour by a, a wide margin. So when you're talking about hitting fairways and, and using your irons to take to, to really take over a course, that that's Morikawa's game perfectly like summed up. So in, in a DraftKings sense, he, he's the most expensive player this week on DraftKings. I had trouble building lineups around him. I found myself going down to Dustin Johnson for eight hundred dollars less i think dustin johnson should have a really good week here he he's won this course twice he he's finished here top 25 seven times out of his eight tries and he's four top 10 so in, in a DraftKings sense i found myself going for the the salary savings towards dustin johnson and even brooks kepka for four hundred dollars cheaper than colin but i could see why colin on as an outright bet would make a lot of sense and that's and that's a key difference and this is kind of why we want to have you on mark in you know, me and, me and Jason don't really focus on DraftKings, and, and there's certainly a different strategy. I was guilty when I first got into DraftKings, when it was first sort of come over to the UK, was right, well, I've made five betting picks, let's, let's put five of those in the team and kind of go on from there. But there's so much more strategy involved in the sense that you've got to kind of differentiate yourself in, in one way or another, and, and a load of people are going to try and, and, and sort of force their way into Colin Morikawa lineups. Brooks Kepka is going to take an awful lot of the ownership being first, second, second and third here, you know, in four of the seven tries, which, you know, as a as I think he makes a very clear betting favourite for me. But Dustin Johnson's form is is nowhere near as bad as people react to, is it? You know, he's had four top twenty fives in his last five starts, missing the cut of the three M the week after finishing tight eight for the open doesn't doesn't really put me off in the slightest. Um he kind of only had one bad round at the open championship if you want to call it that. Um, and like you say, he's a two-time course winner and two more top tens as well. Yeah, Dustin Johnson was actually one of the the first guys I bet on this week because he's twenty to one here stateside on DraftKings, and it kind of reminded me very much to Rory McIlroy at Quail Hollow earlier this season, going to a course where they had won multiple times, hit that twenty to one mark. It just felt like an auto bet for me here. Um, one other thing for Dustin Johnson that really fits in for him is when I was talking about earlier with like a certain course setup. Dustin Johnson's the best par 70 small greens player on tour by a pretty wide margin. Yeah. Since 2015, he's had 38 rounds of data on those types of courses, whether it's a par 70 and it has a small green. And he's gained 2.54 total strokes per round, which is 0.72 strokes per round better than the next closest player. So he's pretty dominant on these types of tracks, which is another reason why I found myself on him. Uh, and that's the thing I think you know Jason we've kind of noticed it from a from a betting perspective not quite in maybe the data that Mark's put there but you know from from a very basic outlook is that Dustin Johnson is a certain player that you know when you come to these short fiddly tracks that people think you just take the the shorter hitters and it brings the field into it but we can see the likes of Rory McIlroy Dustin Johnson uh, Brooks as well kind of not overpower these golf courses but just play them just as well even when you expect the Bombers not to sort of feature as heavily as they would in other weeks I think Mark puts it more eloquently than we have in terms of in terms of a player hits a price at the right track. No, not to say not not it doesn't matter what form they're in. But as you rightly say, Rory at Quail, um, Brooks Kepka obviously at Phoenix went at forty five. I think over here, didn't he? Um, yeah. We we continue to say, you know, um, if a player can fit a course, and, and the bookmakers consider them out of form and they drift to a price, it's it should be bet material, whatever happens. Jordan, who was who was at uh, ludicrous prices when he was out of form, wasn't he? 
I mean, you know, at some point he was back, wasn't he? Yeah. Um, and I'm just interested, Mark, how, how does, you know, for people who don't follow DraftKings, if we've got Dustin Johnson at 20 on the betting market, or so he was 21 over here, first seven each way, compared to the thought of him putting him on DraftKings, what, what is the different thought process be, between, is it trying to avoid what other people have got, as opposed to over here? It doesn't matter if me, Tom, and the rest of England are on a player. We've got our price. Whereas, obviously, on DraftKings, the more people that are on, the less of the pool you're going to win. So what's the yeah. thought process behind it? Yeah, so when you're picking your players, you have to understand what their projected ownership is going to be, what percentage of the rest of the field are going to be playing this golfer. Because if a golfer is 20% owned, 20% of the field gets all the points that golfer is getting you. So you need to get leverage on the field by going with someone who's 8% owned. So you try to find golfers who are going to either get to that same or a little bit better scoring with lesser ownership because you don't want to be moving with the field you want to be moving ahead of the field so a guy like like dustin johnson this week he might not be as high owned as a guy like brooks kepka and he's 400 dollars cheaper and usually the the pricing is pretty closely tied to the betting board so like dustin's the the third most expensive golfer and like the third cheapest for for uh, shortest for odds you can and start to find some values down the DraftKings board when you find a guy like Daniel Berger, who outright betting is the seventh shortest odds, but he's the 13th most expensive golfer. So there's a little bit of, of value on him in DraftKings, maybe not as an outright bet, but maybe in DraftKings you can go to Daniel Berger because he he is a higher win, a higher implied win equity than what the DraftKings salary is telling you. The only problem is Daniel Berger might be very popular because he's won here twice. So then, then at that point, you'd look at it and say, do I want to go to Daniel Berger at 9-2 for, for the drafting salary, or do I want to go to like Scotty Scheffler for $100 cheaper who might finish in that same, around the same place as Daniel Berger would? So you, you do have to take in consideration what the ownership is going to be and really build your lineups around enough players being with the field and enough players giving you an edge and leverage over the field. I think that's the thing as well, isn't it, isn't it, Mark? That you know there is signs of like, like for example, now Daniel Berger is going to be, I would hazard a guess, maybe the most owned player in the field on DraftKings because he he is just that much cheaper than everybody else at the top, and and you know he's played here four times. He finished first, first, and second, and one missed cut when he was horrendously out of form in 2018 and slightly injured as well. And if you can get him and Dustin Johnson, even Brooks Koepka in in a lineup, and still have you know, decent, you know, decent options around you, that certainly makes a, an appealing prospect. Yeah, and that's why when you're when you're building your your DraftKings lineups, I always tend to start with my cheaper golfers because when you get to the top of the DraftKings pricing, most of the golfers at the top are going to score around the same. Like that's why they're the most expensive because they're the best players. So I think your your biggest edge and your biggest value is finding some of the cheaper players who might have a good week, whether it's a course fit or course history or just good form whatever that reason might be so like for me this week tyrell hatton he, he's 7400 on DraftKings, which is much cheaper than i've seen him like he was as much as like ten thousand at some point a couple a couple months ago and now you're getting him at 7400 which is so much cheaper than you, we've seen him sergio garcia 7300 ian Poulter at seven thousand. these are some guys who i would like to plug into my lineup because they can give me access to getting dustin johnson daniel berger together with the brooks Kepka or with the scotty scheffler yeah, it's interesting you mentioned Ian Poulter and Sergio there because I, I was just, while we were sort of talking about that, I was kind of making a line-up and I think I started with, with Daniel Berger there and, and I managed to sort of get Shane Larry, Ian Poulter, Sergio Garcia in 
um, into a lineup. And and for me, you know, in the European Tour show that I did last night, I kind of mentioned that the Sergio's ball striking has been pretty much second to Colin Morikawa, maybe Paul Casey as well in 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 the field of late. The course history isn't brilliant for someone like Sergio Garcia here. Uh, it certainly hasn't been since it's been a WGC event, but. But that's the kind of thing, Mark, that's going to give you a bit of an edge. In, you know, if you do give him the chance based on the way that he's hitting the ball uh, and where the course should fit, the, the guys are going to be put off by the recent history of the event. And, you know, you're, you're getting a guy at a really cheap price that could make all the difference. Yeah, I actually ended up betting on Sergio at 70 to 1 also because yeah. last year, Justin Thomas won on this course while losing almost two strokes putting, which is exactly what you need for Sergio Garcia. Because if you can lose strokes putting and win an event, that's the kind of course that Sergio is live at. Yeah, I completely agree. Jason, I'm sure you'll certainly agree that that's, uh, that's the perfect profile for Sergio as well. I'm, I'm fascinated. I think this is great. I'm, I'm learning. I, I love this. I love this different dimension on looking. Um, so if you look at somebody like, uh, for this, let's take, for example, Matt Fitzpatrick. Sorry to, to divert. I'm just, I'm just quite interested in this. Right? Look at somebody like Matt Fitzpatrick. You wouldn't want to be on necessarily at 33, but he's got a six and a fourth here, hasn't he? Um, he's playing really well. He's got a fantastic iron game. He can putt as well. Um, you know, I'd be interested in having him somewhere. Now, from a British point of view, I might look at that as a top 10. Uh, I mean, maybe I'll okay, seven places, but each way, top whatever, I'll look at him in a group bet of bets. But on DraftKings, I don't know what he is, Fitzpatrick. Would he be the type of player? So, on, uh, yeah, so he's 8,800, isn't he, on DraftKings, Mark? So, with oh, that, it's kind of, um, which could be a good thing, I think. Uh, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, Mark, but because because he is at 8,800 and because you can go, you know, $300 more expensive and get uh, Scotty Scheffler, $200 and get Paul Casey, go down $300 to Webb Simpson, down $200 Shane Lowry, there's, because there's so many different options around him, he could be that, although he's got that really great course history, and he's been incredible in stateside pretty much all year. There are different pivot options around him that may make him slightly lower ownership than you'd expect with the course history. Oh, absolutely. And and that's what I was talking about earlier. When you want to find a guy who might score the same amount of points in that same price range, but come at that lower ownership. Because now if you can get Matthew Fitzpatrick at 8,800, so you're spending 300 less than you would be for Scotty Scheffler. And Fitzpatrick finishes fifth place and he gets all the placement points and he has a, a good birdie streak somewhere in there. And he comes in at like 6% owned. You're getting all that leverage over him because other people are looking like, oh, I don't need Matthew Fitzpatrick this week. I can, I can spend up, I can spend down. And he's exactly the kind of guy that you would want when you're building like a GPP lineup, which is a tournament lineup. Because then you have to beat, in order to get paid for a tournament, you usually have to beat about 75% of the field. Um, if you want to get paid in, in like a cash game, which is like a head-to-head or a multiplier, usually about 43 to 45% of the field gets paid. So that's when you have to really take ownership a little bit differently and, and kind of go with the field. But like in a, a GPP, when you're trying to leverage the field and leapfrog over a, a, a large amount of people, Matthew Fitzpatrick is a guy that you, you would want circled. Um, for me, for DraftKings, a lot of the, the scoring comes from like birdie streaks and, and making birdies. And, and bogeys don't punish you over, like too much, to be honest. So it doesn't really hurt to have a guy get to the same score but get there with like twice the amount of birdies. So a guy like Sam Burns at 6,900, 6, he sticks out to me because he can make a ton of birdies. He just makes a ton of bogeys with it. So you really have to like look at all these different factors when you're making your lineups. Yeah, and, and it's an interesting point that you make there as well is that 
it's almost like the, the volatile scorers are kind of the guys that you want, Jason, in this. And, and this is obviously you're learning from this. And, and I don't, I certainly don't know an awful lot. But what I what I would originally do when I'm looking at this field now is that I know that Aaron Rye finished 12th here on his debut last year, um, and is playing pretty good golf anywhere that he plays at the moment, even even in the Open Championship. But the foundations of his game is, you know, being pretty solid, saving par quite often and, and not making a ton of birdies. I know he can, um, but maybe that doesn't lend himself to being a good DraftKings scorer. Top oh. Carry on, mate. Yeah. <laughs> would, you, would you agree with that assessment, Mark? Oh, I, I would agree 100% with that. Um, and I, I was kind of alluding to it earlier. A lot of when you're making your lineups, it really does depend on your contest selection so when you're making uh, when you're first entering the tournament you're entering your lineup it depends on what type of contest you're choosing if you're choosing like those gpp those, those higher those tournaments that can give you more money if you get the first place but you also have to beat way more people to even get the minimum return that's when you have to really go with a little, little bit more volatility a little bit more high ceiling plays but when you're playing like a 50 50 or a double up which is you, you enter four dollars for the tournament and 45% gets $4 or $8 back, so they double their money. Uh, you want to really go with a little bit more of like the guys who have a higher floor. So guys who are going to make the cut. Obviously, there's no cut in, in this event, but for normal PGA Tour events, events where there are cuts, you want guys who are going to make the cut, get you a, a 30th place finish, and, and just give you like a solid floor of points to go off of. So a lot of your lineup construction does depend on your contest selection as well. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, like you say there, I, I just... How do you approach it differently for a WGC or, or a, a short field event, if you like? Because it, it seems to be that it's a lot harder to differentiate your lineups. I think that no matter what sort of savings you try and make, I think, I think like you said there, the, the Dustin Johnson pivoting away from kind of Brooks Kepka and, and Daniel Berger and, and Colin Morikawa and the obvious three choices is that you, you really probably have to, to make those top two guys and maybe you start with, Dustin Johnson and Matthew Fitzpatrick and, and kind of find some middle ground because it seems to be that, you know, we're going to go and talk about the Barracuda in a minute and I think there's, we could name 30 different golfers that are all interesting that you can you can really differentiate lineups, but it must be tougher in these short field events. Yeah, a lot of people look at it different ways. For me personally, when I know that there's going to be no cut, I'm almost always looking at the upside. I, I know a guy is getting four rounds now, unless you're Louie and you're withdrawing the day of, or, or <laughs> Kevin Na and withdrawing after day two. Um, so here I'm looking a lot at at a guy like maybe Siwoo Kim. Like Siwoo Kim in a normal event, he's either missing the cut or he's getting like a top 10 finish. So here you're guaranteeing four rounds. He might find something over the weekend if he starts off poorly and get himself back into contention. So for a no-cut event, a WGC, players who have, traditionally played well at these high level events but players who also have a lot of win equity or top 10 equity people who can definitely get to a ceiling a ceiling uh event yeah and i think you know we saw it last week jason that uh, last week last year sorry in this event that tom lewis i think he started 73 70 and then shot that 61 on saturday because obviously there was no cut he, he fired himself back in the contention shot the 66 on sunday as well and and then he finished, you know, three shots shy. That's not going to happen all the time. It's a 61 is obviously uh, very, very rare. But you know, to see a guy shoot 62, 63, as as Mark just alluded to there, someone like a Siwoo Kim or someone of that ilk, a Cameron Champ or a Mickelson or someone that can really rattle off some sort of like, you know, just Matthew Wolf, someone that can just go on these birdie equal streaks, it might just be worth plugging those into your lineups. 
absolutely. <laughs> you're you're not sure on the striking thing, are you? You're here no, to I learn. No, <laughs> I'm actually really, I'm actually fascinated by it. I just, I, I'm not, I'm not knowledgeable enough. That's why, as I say, that's why I find it fascinating. The marks come on to give a totally different look at, um, between a fixed odds market, which is what us and the vast majority of our listeners would be would be playing, and uh, a completely different concept. I, I find it quite fascinating to be honest with you. Let's reverse it, you know, just before we kind of finish off with and Mark, we'll, we'll kind of try and maybe build together a lineup uh, while we're talking about it. But let's go back to, to what we know, Jason, and, and what we would look at. For me, I think it's, you know, you look at the last two winners in Brooks and Justin Thomas, and before that, uh, you know, uh, DJ and Berger won at short odds as well. I don't really want to stray too far from the obvious in this event. I think that you could pretty much, you could, if someone told me they were back in Brooks and, and Daniel Berger and leaving it at that, I'd be absolutely fine. I do think there's a little bit of value still in Fitzpatrick just because the the place terms, because his, his form in America has just been absolutely ridiculous uh, this season. I mean, when you look at it, he's he's just, I think it was fifth at the Genesis, 11th at the other WGC in concession, 10th at Bay Hill, 9th at the players, 4th at Heritage, 10th at Palmetto. He looks like he's going to get you a place, you know, finish on somewhere he's done it two years in a row. It's just the winning upside. Sergio, as Mark points out there, I think is, is decent value at 70 to 1. And, and I did look at Billy Horschel and uh, Ian Poulter as well. But I, I kind of just think it's unwise to to kind of try and take on the top of the market. Yeah, I think those who got the bigger price of that burger, you know, each way prices are, are sitting on a cricket. It's, it's, it's not exciting, but it's it's absolutely obvious. Like I said earlier, I mean, we know what he does anyway. We know that his game's built on accuracy, on fantastic iron play. We know the treble bogey, uh, treble, the three putt on the last at the Open cost him. Um, but when you look, he, he's everywhere on it. He, you know, I mean, crucially, he's, uh, I think he's tied 12 par fours. And as I said, if you bring in the tied second for par threes, um, everything about him. I mean, he's got he's got form on the right places. He's got obvious form here. Um, I'm struggling. He, he, again, he looks. We read Berger quite well, I think, on this show. Yeah. Um, and again, he looks he looks to be going in the right direction to win. I mean, it's difficult. It was him as Jordan, who obviously you know had a week off. Um, you know, he did at the Open. What you expect him to do at the Open? Uh, I like the pebble correlation. Obviously, he's got fantastic form there. As Mark says, these are all top grade anyway, so you would expect it. Um, but he's definitely you know, coming back to his absolute and. Apart from the obvious, Morikawa, I never get right, as you know. Um, again, how can you how can you knock what he's done? I I do think, funnily enough, there will be not a reaction, but some sort of um, it's not even fatigue, just some sort of bounce back on last week with him, and I I can't tell you why. Um, you know, again, if he'd have won and come here sort of on a hat trick, I, I would actually prefer him in a not mm. in, in a bizarre way. Um, so the only other one really outside the whole that lot was um, was Abe Anser, who I thought for a top seven was was pretty fair. Um, third in par fours, I think on tour at the moment uh, for the season. Um, I don't think he's been, you know, absolutely at his, at his his very very best with his irons, but they're still, you know, in context of, of world golf, you know, pretty special. Um, but obviously got a top twenty here when it was just. Decent Jude Classic, um, and then uh, top fifteen for the sixty-five, sixty-six weekend here last year. I, I love these figures. I, I just think 
I just think when he's right, his iron play is, is stunning. Um, you know, he's been he's top 20 all the time in, in greens and reg and approaches. Tita Green. Uh, so he was the only other one outside. I think he's... I know he hasn't won, um, but I, I do think he's he's another one that's ready to take that step up to the next level. Whether he can do it with everybody in the field apart from John Rahm, I don't know. But at, at seven places, I thought... You know, you're talking about Scotty Scheffler and people like that, um, and I'm a fan of Scotty Scheffler. I just thought with 15 points bigger, Answer was was quite tempting in a limited field. I, I just think with Answer, I mean, you know, my, my kind of jokey feelings on him, but I, I don't really care what field it is or, or what event it's in. I think if you if you like the price, just back him because I don't I don't think there's going to be I don't think he's a player that you look at him and think yeah he's going to tear up a weaker field at some point and. And that'll be it. You know, I think he can win in high class, didn't he? You know, he played really well at Heritage when, you know, he got beat there. And I just, I do think that he can just do it wherever. It's just a case of when. Um, I just never seem to see them. I'd probably rather go Shane Larry at the same price just because of the way he's hitting the ball. Um, but again, I don't know the winning upside is there for, for either of those uh, at the moment, which is why I'm kind of struggling to just veer away from, from Berger and Brooks and, and even Fitzpatrick. So, for me, it's going to be a very boring car. But Mark, in terms of outright bets and and things that you mentioned, Sergio earlier, is there other guys you had bets on? Yeah, so I, I have bets on Dustin Johnson. Um, he he reminded me of like the Roy McIlroy at Quail Hollow situation that I mentioned earlier, um, and him dominating the par like par seventies at small greens. Um, I actually did bet Scotty Scheffler at thirty one to one. For me, I, I mean, I just love Scheffler, so it might be biased and it might might be a, a dumb bet, but he has eight top tens this season, and seven of those top, seven of those eight top tens came at either a WGC or a major or on a TPC course. So, this is a, a right style event for him. He hasn't won either, um, which was my one hesitance with him. But I also do have him top ten. I, I think he's going to finish um, relatively well this week. And then Shane Lowry at fifty to one. I, I've bet him also. I know you just mentioned him, but he he's been just like hitting the ball so much better for a guy who's really good with his short game that I feel like on this course, if you can keep that good tee to green going and he gets in a little bit of trouble, he has the ability to, to go scramble and, and to make pars and still find birdies and eagles uh, on the par fives. Um, Sergio, like I mentioned earlier, and then also Corey Connors. Corey Connors is another guy similar to Sergio. If you can lose strokes putting and win an event, it, it's Corey Connors. Uh, ball striking, he's just one of the best in, in, in the world. So those are the five guys I ended up on in an outright market. Yeah, and it's interesting that you know you mentioned we'll go a bit more into Shane Larry as we both like him. Is the sense that um, in in the last eight weeks, you know, on tour tickets with me and Jason Hughes, he's actually leading the field in in irons. I think Sergio's second as well. So it it really you know and that's in a field with Morikawa in it. So that that's you know great to hear. And I think there's a lot. And you mentioned around the greens as well and scrambling. I think that's quite important here because people are going to miss these smaller greens. You mentioned Dustin Johnson feasts on smaller greens, but they are going to be missed, and and to have a guy that you know is comfortable around those greens is really important. Do you think it's fair, Mark, to call Scotty Scheffler like Brooks Kepka light in the sense that he just seems to do exactly the same thing in terms of turning up for the big events? He just hasn't won them yet, and you know Brooks is thirty-one, Scheffler's twenty-five. So you know if he does start kind of getting breaking through in these events that he's really competing in and start winning them, there's no reason why he can't build up a similar profile. 
Yeah, I agree. I think once he gets that first win, I think you're going to see more come. I think he just needs to get over that hump. We've seen him when he gets in contention in the past on a Sunday. It appears he just looks at the at the scoreboard and he sees where he is. And then on like the 15th hole on a Sunday, he just ends up going in the water. I, I feel like once he, he finally gets that first win, he's been contending at all these events because he's got such a complete game. He's he's good off the tee. He's good good enough on approach. He's good at scrambling. He's a good putter, so he has enough in his game. He actually reminds me a lot of Daniel Berger um, in terms of like the style of player he is, and almost like a Patrick Cantlay. But he, he shows up at those big events where once he wins that first one, I think you'll you'll see so many more come right after. Yeah, and I, I think like you say there, he, he does. It appears that he kind of looks at the scoreboard and and, and craps himself. I think, but it's I think it's more just. He kind of he's so keen to get that win. He's so keen to to get it done that he maybe just pushes for it and gets too aggressive. To, not the hero shot, but kind of like, well, you know, let's really put the foot down and win it as opposed to sort of coasting his way home. And there's probably two different ways of getting victories, and he hasn't found the formula yet. I know, Jason, you're you're obviously a massive fan of Scotty Scheffler. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I agree with you. I, everything you say, he's he's so ready to win. I can't believe he hasn't won so far. And and I agree. I, I think Mark's right. I think he does suddenly find out where he is in the tournament and pushes it or that does something absolutely ridiculous at the wrong time um but like, it, it's got to happen isn't it um and why not after you know finally xander wins again you know <laughs> you know I, I said all last year they were everywhere i looked on the um you know on the ball striking charts if you like uh, where xander was scotty scheffler was um and you know there's xander's done it um again um, let's, let's say that you know Scotty will do it again, but like you say, his, his figures are are very impressive, aren't they? Um, it, it, I, I agree. With you, he does look older than he is, doesn't he? A lot older. <laughs> um, maybe it's yeah. Maybe it is. It is a, a sort of if you like a growing into himself, really. Um, just just learning a bit more and finding out a bit more. So maybe you should read Xander's uh, mind control book and uh, get the job done. But yeah, yeah, he'll do it, won't he? Why not this week? Yeah, it could be, I think it would just come at any time. I don't, I don't like I just said about Abraham Anson. I don't really care where it comes or, or or worry about what it can do it in. If the numbers what you think it should be, then uh, then go for it. Um, Mark, before we go on to the Barracuda and wrap things up, what do you think is the the lowest price that you'd feel comfortable start of plugging people in? I know you mentioned C with Kim earlier at sixty four hundred. Um, would you be looking at any guys lower than that? Or do you not think you need to with, with how you can sort of balance your lineups this week? I think the lowest I would probably go would be the 6,400 with, with Siwoo Kim. A couple other guys in that similar range would be like Stuart Sink and Robert McIntyre, who are just yeah. a little bit more expensive. Those are two guys in that 6,000 range that, that I had circled. Um, Sam Burns at 6,900. Ian Poulter and Justin Rose both at 7,000. Those were like the, the cheap guys that I, I had thrown into most of my lineups. So I, st- I, you know, what else I said earlier, I sort of put together a lineup, and while we're talking, I've sort of fiddled with it again, and and I started at the bottom with with Poulter, Sergio, and Hatton, with with the guys that you mentioned that, that were cheap, Matt Fitzpatrick, Daniel Berger, Dustin Johnson. It, you know, in terms of ownership, I mean, my worry there when I look at it is it's quite Europe European driven with the the four cheaper guys from the European Tour or. or European Ryder Cup side, if you like, but it gives you the chance to plug in Dustin and Daniel Berger. What, where do you think you'd have to leverage from that to kind of get it into a decent ownership place? I, I do think that Hatton will be relatively. I mean, I, I hope he's 
relatively unowned because he's going to be in a lot of my lineups. Um, I, I do think a lot of people are going to look at this week because they look at these WGCs and they say, oh my gosh, we have all the best players in the world. Why am I even going to bother going to the 7,000 range? Let's just build the all 8,000 lineup. So a lot of a lot of times at this style of event, you'll see a lot of people almost like skipping the top top of the board and really just starting right in the middle and just going with a straight and balanced build. I think if you just have some cheap guys just at all, whether it's Sergio at 73 or Patton at 74 or anybody else cheaper than that, you're already going to have some leverage because people are mostly going to be sticking in that 8,000 range because they don't they don't want to get cheap at an event where all the best players already are. Yeah, I mean, and again, that's another way you could look at it is you, you talk about that 8K range there. I mean, you can go, Webb Simpson's got a very good course history here. Shane Lowry, Matthew Fitzpatrick, all guys that we've already mentioned. You can then plug in uh, English and Hatton and leave yourself with Scotty Scheffler. The, the the worry there then is that you haven't got one of the main guys that we've been talking about. So it does, it does feel like, although people don't want to take the risk, it does feel like if you don't have a Brooks Kepka or a Dustin Johnson or Daniel Berger, um, those would be the three guys that I'd be really scared of leaving out entirely. Uh, I agree. Um, the one lineup that I built that, um, that I seem to like the most was starting with Dustin Johnson up top, going to Scotty Scheffler, then grabbing Abe Anser and Con- Corey Connors together at that 8,000 range, and then finishing it off with Sergio and Ian Poulter. Yeah, no, I like that completely. I think that I think Ian Poulter is... He's someone that may be a little bit overlooked this week. I think that he's been pretty steady for, you know, he's, because he's been kind of defunct to that real standout where it looks like he's been contending. He's had two top four finishes in his last, what, five or six starts. He's got two top eights at the golf course, including since it turned into a WGC. So I think he's a guy that, you know, can shoot that really low score when, when it doesn't really matter too much. I think he... He does seem to grind it out. It's a, probably another Ferrari in the garage if he shoots a 62 on a Sunday. So, um, yeah, I think that's a you know it's a, it's a great lineup. So I'm pretty happy with what we've discussed there. Um, the Barracuda Championship is a completely different entity. Jason, we'll start off by by going through the, the betting side of things on this one. Um, you know, Maverick McNeely's a favourite. I I can see why he'd be popular. Um, I think that the last couple of weeks I've kind of liked him. He's been too short in the betting and I, and I think that's the case this time but you look at the kind of the last three winners of the event you know Richie Rowensky was kind of the third place finished last year um Colin Morikawa is I think 10 to 1 and he was coming off two top four finishes and Andrew Putnam was coming off an eighth so I, I do think that it does pay to have um some relative form but I think there's there's probably a couple of guys and, and one in particular few behind him in the betting that, that you're more sweet on yeah I'm gonna go to the well again for the 458th time with uh, Grio, Mariano Grio. Um, I, no secrets with Grio whatsoever, as we know, but he turns up in these opposite events plenty of times. Um, we know what he's going to do, don't we? He's going to have every chance on Sunday. Um, he was ninth here last year, um, finished with a 72, unfortunately. Um, but everything about him, everything about his, his iron play is just stunning. And this is an event where Birdie count and uh, bogeys you know will hurt you um, and I think the problem with Grio is he just often doesn't hold enough birdie putts on a, on a sort of a, a standard field if you like um, doesn't really go backwards it just lets people get away from him um, and I think you know he, he got enough potential here to score plenty of points um, I mean bizarre stat is that he's second in consecutive birdie streaks 
on the year, uh, a total of six. I'm not sure where that was, but it doesn't really matter. We, we've seen him hundreds and hundreds of times get there, have low rounds, get there, and, and unfortunately stick his head in the air and, and, and not go through with it. But I just think this is the type of tournament, I've always thought this is the type of tournament. I think we backed Sam Burns here last year, um, and he failed. Um, and Grio gives me that same type of player, um, loads and loads of birdies. It's just about trying to, to avoid the obvious. Is the obvious bogeys. He's 10th in birdie to bogey ratio for the season, 13th in approaching the uh, approach the green, 8th in uh, scoring average, top 30 in birdies, and 6th uh, in total birdies. It's exactly what you want here. He's got everything that, that you need to win, and it's bloody about time that he got his nose in front, isn't it, really? Um, you know, you look at some of his ball. I know you can pick bits and pieces of, of a lot of these balls, um, but, you know, top 12 in the Open that we've just had, you know, top 10, Charles Schwab, yeah, fifth, top 15, Wells Fargo, second at the Heritage, you know, top 10 at the Corrales. I mean, he's, he's the most obvious each-way golfer that, that I think, I mean, okay, yeah, you've got people like Berger on a limited field, but on a on a full field, he's like the most obvious each way place I think that there is. So he's my number one of this event. Not saying he's value at all. Um, I think he's the right price, but I think he's guaranteed to give you a run. I think in terms of betting perspective, it's in these kind of events. I think we did it last year, Jason. You're quite sweet on uh, Mackenzie Hughes. I think it was at Corellas where you know you, you kind of have you don't have to throw it out the window because value is value, but. I think if you're sweet on someone, you kind of you just have to swallow it and, and know it's going to be the price for the week. Because, I mean, Troy Merritt in terms of game logs, he's back-to-back second-place finishes at this event. Obviously, new course last year, but he was second there as well. Um, you know, coming off the back of some really good form, second at the Roger, uh, Rocket Mortgage, seventh at the the Charles Schwab, seventh at the Byron Nelson, eighth at the Valspar. Um, will like this format. You know, is a multiple tour winner. For me, I'd almost feel slightly more confident in him than uh, Emiliano Grillo. But um, Mark, is there anyone at this kind of top part of this this betting board? I know you'll have slightly different odds to us, but I imagine the players are all the same. Let's say between Maverick, between Lee, Maverick Lee, Brandon, Brandon Grace, Grace, Mito, Mito Grillo, Grillo. Yeah, I, I didn't see much value in a lot of those guys, um, especially these alternate events. I always feel like i'm always in like the 40 to 65 range give or take uh so i just saw a couple guys that i like every alternate event i feel like i have a bet on doc redmond at like 65 to 1 <laughs> or like harold varner those are the guys that i tend to go to a lot at these style events um aaron wise at 30 to 1 was another guy that i had circled and then kyle stanley at 40 to 1 were the the four players that i really had interest in for the barracuda yeah and for me as well is the like you say there, you feel like you're living between the 40 and 65 to one range, and, and that would make sense because you look at the, the recent winners uh, of this event and and it's kind of littered around that kind of price range. You know, I've just mentioned that, that Colin Rocow was 10 to 1. I can't remember. Jason, I don't know if you remember what Richie Rinsky was last year, but I imagine he must have been around the, the sort of 40, 50 to 1 range. But Putnam was 28 to 1. Chris Trail was 75 to 1. Greg Chalmers is an outlier at 300s. We had JJ Henry, Jeff Ogilvy, 66 to 1, Woodland, 40 to 1. So it makes sense to kind of live in that range. Yeah, I think I think it makes sense. And yeah, I mean, I know we both like Darren Wise as well. Think yeah. of his form puts him there. Um, I don't know what price is over there then, because over here, Wise is okay. He's, he's 
spin back to what 40 or something like that. So Wise is generally about 33, 28 over here, Mark, something like that. What price was yeah. he over there? I have him at 30 over here. I mean, the other one that interests me was, was um, and it's going to be a better point in Vogue, is, is uh, Snedeker, who, who looks to be coming back to form. I mean, I know you're a massive fan of Snedeker, Tom. Um, yeah. But he, he does look to be coming back. Um, we know that his putting is, um, you know, his key stat. Get it on the green, and, and I love his putting. He doesn't waste any time, does he? Looks at it, gets behind it, hits it. Um, I don't know. I don't know. He's downgraded, isn't he? But are we just harping at sort of old form, really? Um, at 33, well, I can see how Ravana he hits loads of birdies, doesn't he? Absolutely, you know, fires at pins. Joel Damon, absolutely, you know, just bangs it, bangs it at the uh, at the target. And you mentioned Tom Lewis last year in the um, in the FedEx goes to the opposite event now at 66 to one. He's a potential, but I found, I did find it quite difficult, and I, and I agree. I think you could even take a chance we discussed earlier, going right down to the totally unexposed, so the actually Batiers and the um, the, the Galas, Davis Thompsons. At any point, so Ben Martin can can birdie for fun. It's um, yeah. I found it quite di quite difficult um, because I think you can take a chance down here at the bigger prices, three figure prices. Well, I think that Brent Sedeker will be one of the biggest beneficiaries of it moving to California. Um, obviously, winning multiple times at Torrey Pines and Pebble Beach, so I think that's a, a kind of big thing for him. Whether it's you know slightly different California, it's not as coastal, but you know I think it kind of helps give those kind of vibes off. And, and like you say, I'm a massive fan of his is coming back. Um, you know, right next to him in, in kind of a Ryan Moore as well is someone that, that's coming back. These guys are all, you know, or both really experienced big winners in, in big events and contended in major championships and now coming to play these events, it must be quite humbling. Um, they probably both feel like they should be back over in a WGC event. So it'll be interesting to see how they react. But I I was interested to see how Bo Hogue will go after him being really disappointing uh, last time out when I know a lot of people were on at, at triple digits you know he, he really did kind of crap the bed on the last four holes in both days um, which was really disappointing to see but I just think the format will lend itself to him sort of maybe taking that pressure off a little bit um, Joseph Bramlett has just been playing these kind of opposite field events pretty well you know tied 11th for the Barbasol 25th at Palmetto 13th at Corrales uh, he was 12th here last year 19th and 9th in the last two events in strokes gain approach. So for me, uh, for a guy that finished 12th on this uh, course debut here last year, um, I just thought Joseph Bramley, you know, this is a guy that had bundles and bundles of potential, didn't he, Jason? He's been derailed by injuries with bad back and, and things like that. You know, if you ever get to listen to a podcast in a no-lane app, it was quite frightening to listen to what he had to go through. But it, I, I think this is the kind of event that I could see him winning. And I think he is one of those players that you, you don't really expect him to do it very much anywhere else. So I do think he needs to take the chance of uh, of, of winning these events and, and give himself an exemption for a couple of years. Um, so he would be one of them. Um, the world and his wife don't need to tell you that uh, Michael Gellerman will be a bet this week. Jason, you know, last time we did a podcast, albeit a skipping a week last week, he was 400s one. We were putting him out based on strong iron play. Um, and that's going to be the same this week. You know, he, he's actually the, the best player in the field in terms of his irons. Um, that's going to set up an awful lot of birdie chances, which is what you need. 
He was actually first in the field last time out. It was at the 3M Open, 12th, 3rd and 15th before that when he's made the cut. So he's gained over five strokes um, with his iron. So that, that's something you really do want to see. And then, and then one other guy before we kind of go to the DraftKings things is, for me, was Michael Kim. I know I, I kind of put him up speculatively earlier in the year and it didn't really pay off, but I think he made the cut and did okay. Um, but he's been 18th and 17th with his irons in the last two starts, which is, you know, nothing, you know, special. It's not like it's sticking out like Gellerman was, but for someone that's a 400 and 501 golfer and someone that has won on the PGA Tour, I just wonder if he can make a run at it. Mark, was there any bets for you in the field this week? Uh, the, the bets I had made so far were Aaron Wise 30 to 1, Kyle Stanley at 40 to 1, and Doc Redman at 66 to 1. And then the only other person I'm looking at right now is Harold Varner. I haven't bet him yet, but he's definitely a guy I have circled. Yeah, what what are your thoughts on someone like Harold Varner? Because I I just, again, maybe just going right back to the very start of the podcast where I talked about sort of Eddie Pepper and people like that and Marcus Armitage, I do think he suffers a little bit from popularity in the betting market. always seems to be a little bit shorter than, than you kind of expect for someone that, that hasn't got the job done. But, you know, he has... He has had some pretty good sort of place finishes and, you know, he has won on the, the Australian PGA Championship and, and everyone kind of thought that might help him kick on. But it, I just wonder what the, the winning upside is, but I suppose it's it's relative to the field. Yeah, that, that's the thing with him. He does get really popular. So for me, a lot of times for a guy like him, I haven't bet him yet because I feel like if I wait long enough, like mid, midway through Thursday or, or even after Thursday, I could probably find him at double the odds if he doesn't go out and shoot like seven under like the leader will be. Yeah, and what does that do to a guy? Let's take it to, to the DraftKings perspective now, but what does that do to someone like his ownership? Is, is You know, because... It is an event that should suit him, like Jason said. It's something that the the, the format will help, um, you know, and, and it takes away slightly the, the exposed things in the past. You know, he didn't play here last year, so he hasn't played the golf course, but you'd expect him to be a popular pick because will people kind of just try and full fade the kind of order 10K guys because Grillo's got his doubts, Grace's got his doubts, Pereira, you'd think, the run's going to come to an end eventually and, and Maverick McNeely seems overpriced. Do, do you think people will just take that stance and go against all the 10K guys? I, I could definitely see that being um, the general thought. I mean, that that was my, my general thought, to be honest. For me, a lot of with these alternate field events, like I mentioned earlier, I'll, I'll approach it similar to I'll approach like a normal GPP. Like, I'm just going to look for birdie makers and high scorers, upside. Really, for this type of an event, like, it is such like a, a dart throw that I feel like I'd rather take a stance against the the more expensive guys who are ne- never normally that expensive and go for guys who are going to be like your Doc Redmonds or um, even like Richie Wawrenski. He's like 8,300 and he, he's won this event. So it's more of those players. Um, the ownership thing with like someone like Varner is like similar to like what you mentioned with Bo Hogue. Like Bo Hogue was super popular a couple weeks ago. So this week people might have a sour taste in their mouth and they might not go back to him and you might have have a great week still so i'm going back to boho um in my DraftKings lineups yeah i mean that uh, for me it was kind of troy merritt was the guy that i felt the most confident about he, he was kind of outside that 10k range i do suppose that kind of helps itself in the fact that people will go and start there because it does help them fade it without going too far away and that, that may not help but and then and then boho was the other guy that i put in ches reevee seems to be hitting his irons really really well 
Um, you know, you've mentioned Doc Redman there. I, I really like Joseph Bramlett. So all of a sudden, if I start Troy Merrick, Boho, Cesare, Joseph Bramlett, I've suddenly got, you know, 8,200 nearly for the next two players. And, and I can almost take my pick of of the bunch outside of the 10K range and, and, and fit another guy in. I mean, I could... I could pay up for someone like a, a Snedeker who seems to be, you know, finding some form and, and go down to the, the 7K range. And there, there's people with high upside like a Wyndham Clark, Davis Thompson, who hit their drivers really, really well. Cameron Percy's hitting his irons well, but never seems to, to get the job done. Luke Donald returns a form of the irons last, last week as well, or last start. So I think there's, you know, Michael Gediman's there at 6,700, who I assume uh, Mark will be very popular this week. Yeah, I know for a lot of these alternate events, too, a lot of the, the younger players, like your Austin Eckroats and Davis Riley, Davis Thompson, a lot of this is like their chance to really start getting some PGA Tour experience, because to them, this is a PGA Tour event. This isn't just an alternate event. So I tend to look at a lot of those guys as well, and they do end up being a little bit more popular um, with that. But one other guy that I have in a lot of my lineups is Pat Perez. He's 8,700. Yeah. He's one of those guys where I feel like this is an event that he could go in, and he's been he's been playing pretty well he has a couple uh like 11th place finish 14th place finish 10th place finish in his last five starts so he's, he's got a couple of good finishes recently um he seems to play well at these alternate events as well yeah i mean a guy that, that kind of come out to me was uh mark hubbard his current form is is pretty good he's got three top 20s there um he's not a guy that you know i think he has a little bit of a, a social media presence he's quite popular but his irons have been pretty steady he's 23rd 35th 13th his last three starts um, like I said, they're three top twenties as well. So him or Pat Perez would be would be decent options there at a similar price in the uh, in the DraftKings lineups. Yep, I agree. Jason, well, any more uh, thoughts? Comment. No, no, no. I was just going to ask. I mean, clearly the WC WGC is is obviously the more attractive. But in terms of something like DraftKings, I know you mentioned like you're throwing throwing a couple of you know Sergios or something like that on on those. What, what's the more attractive one to play? Is it the WGC? Because you, you can probably stick three or four, I'll say obvious, the inverted commas, of the obvious ones and then shove in uh, an, an outsider or two. Or is it the more open Barracuda where your lineup is probably unique, um, however you play it? What, what's, the more, what's the more tempting? For me personally, I always go towards the main event because it's easier just to track it. And it, it's stupid and selfish, but I can't stand going on the PGA Tour app and not and still not knowing what my golfers are doing. So, so the event that lets me actually know what's happening the easiest is usually the one that I end up playing. No, that makes sense because like, I lucky, think... lucky you don't follow EuropeanTour.com website. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. If you just seen Schwan Kim last week at seven under par, and then all of a sudden he got changed to two under par about 30 minutes later, that would be uh, pretty devastating. I'm sure that would kind of happen at the Barracuda this week. But, uh, Jason, any last thoughts on the Barracuda Championship? No, uh, no, I haven't, mate, I'm afraid, no. It's, I, like, I like these tournaments, but like you say, they're, they're, they're opposite, they're secondary. And, um, you, know, but, uh, you know, I don't mind the fact they're secondary. I just I don't particularly fan of the format, to be honest with you. Um, but there we are. No, I, I, think, I think that's fair enough. I think that, you know, when you have a, a three-event week, it, you know, it is hard to, to kind of... You spread thin, you know. There's a lot to look at. There's a lot of things to consider. Um, you, you kind of have to have a, a favourite pick in each. I suppose Gellerman was was mine in this in terms of betting, but 
you know, like I said, he's not been missed. Everyone's on him. No one needs me to tell anything about him. Um, I, I do think the the point that Mark made there about Bo Hogue is that people will have a sour taste in their mouth and, and will probably try and avoid him. And, and it might be a good time to jump on, despite the fact that he's kind of half the price he was when, when we were backing him there. And, and Troy Merritt just seems obvious. But Jason Bramlett might be just my unique pick out of all of them. And Michael Kim certainly will be unique because... I don't think he even probably fancies his chances this week. So it's uh, it'll be an interesting week for sure. Mark, is there any other thoughts you had on the Barracuda before we uh, before we wrap it up? Nope, that was all my thoughts. Yeah, that's it. I think I think for me, there's there's no point in labouring on an event, but uh, there's no need to do that. So for me, um, that kind of wraps up the week. Mark, thank you very much for for bringing the the DraftKings perspective. We'd certainly like to have you on again in the future. Um, to kind of break that down for us because I think that's you know you can hear Jason you know the cogs are spinning in his head there learning things along the way and and you know I've had a bit of exposure to it just from talking about it and and listening to, to Pat Moe and things like that but uh, but certainly for me it's, it's for me to learn as well and if, if we can kind of introduce the DraftKings to the, the British public more and get them playing then uh, that'll be great so thank you very much for giving us the information that you did absolutely we'd love to come back again thank you Great. Jason, uh, any last ending thoughts before we let Mark go and uh, and call it a night ourselves? No, I, I, like I said, you, you rightly summed it up. I, I find it, but I'm going to have to have a proper look at this and then listen to Mark a lot more because, you know, nobody's really, I don't think, explained it. To, to, I mean, it, it sounds bizarre, but, it, you know, we are naive at it, aren't we? Let's face it. Mm. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I find it fascinating. I'd, I'd love to, I'll, I'll happily sit on the side and listen to it for an hour and learn a bit more maybe with sort of some sort of real life thing to look at um so we can run through it or something like that but yeah uh, yeah yeah i think that's what we need to do i think i think we need to kind of give it a bit more attention i think i tried when it first came out to try and sort of boost the interest in it and and write some articles but like you say i didn't i didn't fully commit to it because i didn't know as much as i needed to about it um so maybe we we get guys like mark on back more often and kind of break it down for us better we boost the interest in it maybe make it his own podcast and 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 not kind of fit it in with a betting show as well because it i don't think it blurs the lines but it's a completely different prospect isn't it jason between yeah, the two absolutely. uh styles and and sometimes yeah. it's best to dedicate uh, an episode to each so guys um you know listeners uh, have made it this far if, if you want to hear more DraftKings stuff and, and you want us to get mark on more often and and kind of break things down in that way we, we can certainly do an extra episode maybe on a even record on a Monday and put that out on a Tuesday, that that would be something that we certainly can look at. So, give us your feedback after this week. Uh, you know, certainly rate, review, subscribe, and all that good stuff as well. And uh, we're back for more next week. Thanks, guys. Mm-hmm.